Today's episode of the Unhashed Podcast is brought to you by Ledin.io, a better home for your Bitcoin. Ledin is a suite of institutional-grade services that can help you manage and optimize your digital wealth. At Ledin, you can earn interest on your Bitcoin and USDC through their Bitcoin savings account, offering you the best rates in the industry at 6% APY for Bitcoin and 12.5% for USDC. You can also access Bitcoin-backed dollar loans if you need cash but don't want to sell. And with their B2X loan, you can get a Bitcoin-backed loan to double your Bitcoin holdings. Ledin is the first digital asset lender to have undergone a formal proof of reserves attestation by a public accounting firm, Armanino LLC, raising the bar for transparency in the industry. They are also backed by world-class investors like Coinbase Ventures, White Star Capital, Global Founders Capital, and CMT Digital. We've been long-term Ledin clients and have loved their service so far. Do your own research and learn how they can help you at Ledin.io. That's L-E-D-N dot I-O. It's the Unhashed Podcast. Colin, Brian, Ruben, Mario. It's the Unhashed Podcast. Telling everything that they know about the world of Bitcoin. The world of Bitcoin. Where they don't trust, they verify. You can fork yourself if you don't abide. Talking whales and bear whales, oh. Hello, welcome to the Unhashed Podcast, the show being Bitcoin down to I think I threw all the blockchain bullshit. I'm your host, Colin Alton. I'm here with your co-host, Mr. Ruben, the windmill, the Dutch rudder, the pan and coke, and the luminary, Thompson. Hello. And Mario, the maple leaf, the gib, the jib, the glib, the dib, the sib, the nib, the tip, going and dry, the tit, the tactful, but verbose, the last minute asshole himself, the prodigal son, the fruitful void, Gibney. Hi, everyone. And my brother, my blood, Brian, the bell buckle coming undone, the burger, the alziator, the aviator, the daddy. Alts. Howdy. And very special guest, Lawrence, <clears throat> the ruler of the Jade Empire. Nahumi. <laughs> nice. Very good. <laughs> Hi. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for coming on. And uh, what do you think of your new nickname? The Empire of uh, Jades or the, the ruler of the Jade Empire. Sorry. Yes, I like it. I like it. Good. Well, you know, the reason that you got that nickname, I'm sure you figured out, but maybe the, the listeners haven't figured out is, well, what is your role in the Blockstream Jade? Specifically, maybe you can tell everyone a little, uh, maybe give the listeners a, a Reader's Digest version of your biography so everyone knows a little bit more about you. So where do I start from Jade or some background? You start start uh, at birth and give us everything <laughs> that's happened since then. Okay. Yeah, so- I'm, I'm also curious about the the uh, green stuff. So definitely include that. Well, if I start from birth, you'll get everything. So I, <laughs> True. Let's do it. <laughs> um, well, let's start from university. I'm, um, I've done computer science with distributed systems. Um, I've been always very interested in uh, networking, programming, um, security, and 
uh, after university, I started working in finance for a few years. Um, uh, derivatives, um, electronic confirmations for derivatives, uh, OTC, over-the-counter derivatives. And uh, yeah, at some point I discovered Bitcoin and um, decided that there was some space for a startup that would uh, take advantage of um, you know some of the features in, in Bitcoin, such as multi-sig and so on that uh, not many wallet used at the time or weren't very user-friendly. And uh, yeah, it started from there. Um, Green Address is now part of Blockstream and it's a product in and of itself, Blockstream Green. And um, yeah, my role at Blockstream is uh, Chief Architect. I um, supervise or look at the architecture or help with architecture of uh, uh, quite a few projects in in Blockstream, from Explora to to Green to Jade, and uh, and a few smaller things. And uh, what's my role at, uh, with Jade? Well, so um, it, it wasn't a single person effort by any means, and uh, I contributed with uh, with code with some of the high level architecture, and I worked on the original prototype that um, from where the idea came from. I, I was looking at porting Wally, uh, which is a library we use on, uh, on Green, but also on Aqua. And in general, um, it's a low level library designed for, um, you know, for very low dependencies and works on, on yeah, iOS, Android, Windows, Mac, Linux, and Jade. And so, um, you know, the idea came from there, for an in, from an initial port of uh, the library, and then uh, uh, we figured out that you know we could actually build a, a hardware wallet out of it. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool, I and mean, especially I think uh, with Jade, it seems like the the one thing that is unique about it compared to other uh, hardware wallets is that everything is completely open source, including the hardware. Is that correct? Um, yeah, and I mean, I think there are other hardware wallets that have open source uh, PCBs and so on. Um, I think so. In that sense, it's not the only one. Like, and which the, one? Uh, which one is out there other than uh, is is Trezor completely open source or? I, I thought it was. Mm. Um, yes, I, I, I'm pretty sure it is. I mean, I think the PCBs it's it's out there. I don't know if the um, Tom or you know the um, or bomb actually build on material is available or not. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know to what degree. Uh, I thought that also Coldcard has some some things out there. Um, anyway, yes, the, the yeah. PCB and the build on material is open source. Uh, the case is open source, or at least a variant of it that that fits. Um, what else? There's a the chip itself, it's not open source, but that's never open source in none of the hardware wallets out there. Okay, yeah. So, so that that is uh, one of the limitations. So, technically, you're still sort of trusting the chip, then, or is that like is that even something that's solvable in your eyes, or um, not not entirely? I mean, even if you use a RISC five open source uh, design. Um, you're still trusting the manufacturer to implement that design correctly without anything extra. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's important, I think, that the tool chain is open source and uh, up to date and so on. 
and and we have that the the toolchain is uh, open source and available and up to date with uh, you know um, easy to easy to use component or familiar components for for developers and so on so yeah. in that sense um, it, it's not bad the, so, the yep yeah no go ahead I was just gonna say some of the specs uh, are more open than others depending on chips. And some of the like full stack is more open source depending on what chips, um, but it's not like black and white. Like Ledger yeah. has uh, quite a few things that are open source, for example. Yeah. And so, what about the? Uh, so usually in a hardware wallet, there is like one chip that is responsible for the uh, kind of the HSM parts, right? And, and that that is not uh, that's something you you guys chose not to go with right there's no hsm inside of uh, jade is that correct um i think i think the word you're looking for is not hsm but more like okay. secure element yes yeah um yeah so the there's various degrees of secure elements like there's uh, one that ledger uses and there's one that cold card uses uh, i don't believe trezor uses one um and uh Bitbox, I believe, uh, didn't use uh, one at the beginning, and now they use one. Um, we we use a chip that has some security feature. I wouldn't, I would definitely not call it a secure element in mm. by any capacity, but it does have secure boot with uh, um, uh, RSA uh, function um, signature verification, and it has um, encrypted flash. So it's um, it's not nothing. It, it has some effuses that get burned and and that prevent uh, reflashing and so on. Uh, at the same time, it's uh, it's it's not a chip designed for you know for for things where secure elements are designed for, um, which is you know um, higher security, especially physical security, in terms of uh, anti glitching and and so on. Um, and so in in on top of using the secure boot and encrypted flash, we also implemented um, a protocol on top of that to make sure that even if you manage to, um, you know, decrypt and dump the contents of uh, the flash, uh, you still wouldn't be able to extract the secret uh, very easily. You would also have um, to hack a remote um, service that it's used to um, basically generate. Um, Entropy or keys, key material that you can use locally to encrypt the data, the, the mnemonic, and and enforce uh, that the key material is deleted if uh, the user provides the wrong uh, pin, all without knowing the pin in the first place. It's as blind as possible yeah. when it when it comes to knowing user information. Um, yeah, so, so that's that's kind of the alt alternate solution, right? That you have in, instead of a secure element. But I, I'm curious. Uh, why not also add a secure element into the design? Like, what was the design decision there to to leave that out? Uh, are, like, are you of the opinion that it just doesn't help enough, or or, or what's kind of the, the thought behind that? Well, so the um, even though you know some companies out there are using uh, secure elements, they're not using it all the same or the same way. Uh, they're taking advantage of it for sure, but they're not using it uh, this, the exact same way uh, among themselves. So. For example, um, Ledger uses uh, the secure element such that the keys uh, never leave the secure element, and the signing is happening on the secure element, and and so on. Uh, 
Cold Card on the other hand has a secure element plus an MCU. And uh, I believe that the secure element enforces the, the pin mechanism and a bunch of other things. But ultimately, um, once the chip asks for, uh, asks for it with the right pin, it gets uh, given the, um, the key material. Mm. And, then, and then it's the MCU that does uh, the operations. I'm not sure if this is still current, but it used to be the case. Yeah. Um, Novak will tell me if I'm wrong for sure. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it's not like we decided not to use it. It's just that I, I, I felt that, that there was an opportunity to, to offer um, better than, you know, than average, I would say, um, hardware security, uh, especially in terms of um, um, remote vulnerabilities. Uh, for physical security, uh, I think that the secure element is still better. But, but actually, <clears throat> um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 slightly different threat model, I would say. And uh, you could have both. And so in in you know in the next uh, Jade um, iterations, we may consider adding one on top. Mm. But I think what we have today, it's uh, it's a good balance. Yeah. And uh, I think it will resist. Uh, I mean, I, I I don't know for sure, but I, I think it's a strong mechanism. What is what? What is uh, if you had to guess people's biggest misconception about hardware wallets? Like, what what is the thing that most people seem to not understand about them or get wrong or? Um. So I'm sure that the, the other hardware wallet manufacturers would have more uh, more answers than, than I can because they have more experience in, in, in that than, than, I, than I have, at least so far. Uh, there are a few misconceptions that um, come to mind, though. Uh, one of them is uh, some people see the hardware as uh, the backup, like some of them even have two or three. And it's good practice to have uh, more than one just in case one dies. But really, your backup is the piece of paper or the metal if you chose mm. to to use metal to to store your, you know, your mnemonic seed. Buy a so, bill bottle. Excuse me? <laughs> I said buy a bill bottle. Shameless plug. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, so that that's one misconception. Um, well, so, another, so, yeah. go ahead. Well, well specific to, to that one, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, um, a, a lot of people are looking at the hardware wallet uh, as a kind of a physical security, from a physical security perspective. And I guess you're, you seem to be looking at it more from the uh, perspective of uh, remote attacks, right? Where your computer is compromised and you want to be safe against that. Uh, but like in terms of physical security, having like a backup of, of, you know, a piece of paper with the words on it, uh, you know, somebody breaks into your house and either they find your treasure or ledger or they find your piece of paper. And if they find the latter, uh, then, you know, your coins are still gone. Um, is that like, I don't know, like, how do you, how do you look at that scenario where uh, I, I guess, I guess it's just not your threat model, the, the physical security or, or yeah. I think yep. it's- uh, I think it's a bit of orthogonal. I mean, uh, you're, you're talking about two different things. One is the the backup model, and uh, you have multiple options there. You can uh, store it in a place in the house where it's non obvious for for a thief to to find, 
Um, you could uh, do some show me your secret sharing and split the secret uh, in, in in a few places and make it recoverable. Yeah. You could you could store it in uh, encrypted somewhere else. You could st- you could use the seed with a special passphrase, so that even if they have the seed without the passphrase, they're you know it, it's not that useful unless the passphrase is very easy to brute force, of course. So I think that's a bit orthogonal how you store the the, mm-hmm. the scene, and uh, no, it's not like we are only considering um, malware or remote attacks. We're we definitely considering physical attacks. Yeah. Um, I still think that with our model, it's uh, assuming you know that um, breaking the remote in server is as hard as uh, breaking a secure element, which it's uh, it, it's non obvious. The, the, different models mm. but um if, if you if you make that assumption then is a secure a secure element yeah it's uh and the the pin server is open source and we're planning to allow basically to to be able to set up your own one um your own pin server so that basically there, there's no like your gen may communicate with with something on either your host or some other machine in your network but uh, nothing external yeah. If if that's what you want, what are your um? Oh, go ahead, Jordan. All right, go, yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah. So I, I guess one one thing I'm I'm kind of wondering is um. So so you have this this secondary server, right? So the the idea is that uh, because you have to communicate with two sources, right? You have your your hardware wallet, uh, the Jade, and then you have this uh, remote server, and both of them have to cooperate in order to move your coins, essentially. Um, so this does. This is sort of like a 2FA thing, right? Where you have two locations that uh, basically have to be compromised in order to compromise uh, your 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 coins. Uh, so, so then I'm kind of wondering, uh, especially in, at the moment, because you know there's a single server basically which is uh, connecting to all the jades. Um, isn't this sort of like a honeypot or something that's hackable? And and what are you guys doing to to prevent uh, someone from entering into that server and uh, taking out all the secrets or taking taking over, like like it 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 is it is game over, right? If that if that server got compromised, or or is that not not correct? It's it's not correct. I mean, it's uh, you would also need to compromise the hardware wallets, right? Uh, right. The hardware wallets are Aziz encrypted. The data on the pin server is encrypted at rest. Yeah. And there's an ephemeral ECDH. Um, uh, basically elliptic curve with the Fialman. There's a there's a there's a there's a secret creation. You you could think of it a little bit like TLS, where um, you, you go to to a web page under HTTPS, and um, your browser has the certificate authority in on like stored locally. And then um, you know when when the server replies with, "Hey, yes, I'm this website, and this has been signed by one of the certificate authorities," you your browser goes and checks. Yeah. That that everything um, matches. Um, so we have something similar where the public key of the pin server is embedded in uh, in in the client, um, so that um, you know you can't be really fool the client. Um, we also have encrypted the entire um, data between the pin server and and Jade, so that nothing, not even the the application in the middle, can decrypt it, yeah. or even know if the result is correct or wrong. Like if you get the pin right or wrong. Uh, only Jade will know the, everything in the middle. Um, maybe can do some timing attacks, but other than that, um, shouldn't be able to determine whether the result is right or wrong. 
um, and cannot replay any action or anything like that. So yeah, yeah, I mean, just to kind of give an example, right? Like let's say let's say somebody got all the data from the server and just leaked it on the internet and put it out there, and then somebody went and stole my Jade. So now they have that da- the data breach. Basically, they have the leak of that information. Plus, they have, have my Jade. Uh, now they can put the two together and, and get my key, right? Like, like there is there is not, a point at which this fails, or, or am I still cor- incorrect? You are only. I mean, you're not entirely correct, but you're not incorrect either. Let me explain. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone, let's say, someone hacks the, the server and leaks all the data, the, the data is encrypted, so you would need the Jade to decrypt it, but. Yeah. So at that point, you will also need to break into the Jade. It's not enough that you manage to steal one. You, you, if, if the Jade gets the pin wrong three times, also deletes the secret. So both the server and the client will delete the secret. You could hack the client, sorry, the server to not delete the secret, hmm. um, but you still need the, to, to hack Jade to um, basically not delete the secret and to replay the, the test until you manage to brute force the pin, um, which uh, is... I mean, at that point, is is doable because uh, the server won't um, delete the secret at the third uh, wrong tentative. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So, so there is, uh, yeah, there there's some hacking. Like the the jade itself also needs to be hacked, uh, but it seems to me that that would be like not easy, of course. But considering there's no secure element, uh, that is something that seems doable, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe that's still still difficult. Well, the not this chip variant, but previous chip variants had uh, someone managed to bypass bootloader. That has been fixed since, and uh, anti-glitching has been added to the chip, and we mm-hmm. use the variant that has the fixes. But I wouldn't be you know very surprised if uh, someone like Ledger Labs um, manage manages to to dump the flash or you know to bypass some of these uh, um, features. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think they'll be able to bypass the pin server. Yeah. Um, and, and just to be clear, right? Like I'm, I'm just kind of looking at the uh, outer edges of, of what is possible. And yeah, you know, very generally speaking, any any uh, hardware device can be broken, even with a secure element. It just kind of adds a cost to it. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you get a persistent attacker, uh, they're going to get through. So, you know, I, I'm not trying to uh, <laughs> kind of say that it's like, uh, it's broken because there is a way to attack it. It's like, well, there's always something, right? Yeah, uh, that's I'm correct. just kind of looking at the limits here. It's yeah, all about money. Of, Sorry. Yeah. That was kind of going to be a question I had a little while ago. So I guess it's a, a good time to bring it up. Like, in your opinion, is everyone going to get pwned if the attacker has physical access to a device? Like, it is. Is that just kind of game over in general? Um, yes, I mean you can make it harder by using uh, like three or four different hardware wallets from different manufacturers. Keep in mind that breaking one uh, Jade or one uh, Ledger doesn't imply that you're going to break all of them. Like um, that depends on how destructive the process is. Whether you're reading bits of uh, with a with an electronic microscope or whether you are. Um, you know, in- injecting uh, glitches of various kinds, whether it's through power or laser or or something else. Uh, but yes, I mean, the, the best you can do is make it harder for an attacker by um, using, you know, a variety of uh, different hardware wallets in multi-sig, uh, perhaps throw into the mix um, 
you know, maybe an offline laptop with Bitcoin Core or whatever, and uh, maybe a strong passphrase. And I mean, you can only slow down or make it more expensive and not worth it. I yeah. Think. No, I, I think that makes sense. And that, that was kind of my understanding of of the situation previously. So I, I'm, it's interesting to hear you say that too. So one, one big misconception, I think, is how much better a hardware wallet is. Like you can take the worst hardware wallet out there, a cl- even a clone of, a, of one of the worst hardware wallets out there. Or just say whatever. keep key. It's fine. No, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to say that <laughs> any, any hardware wallet is better than a software wallet, especially on a device that doesn't get the latest security updates or a device where there's a kid installing various kinds of software or pirated software even. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many ways for a software wallet to get pwned. So a hardware wallet, it's a, it's a huge mitigation uh, not not for everything. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of social attacks, right? That that still occur, like type here your mnemonic or send all your funds to Ledger. We'll we'll you know we'll send it back later to X. Um, it's, there's a there's a bunch of social attacks as well. Um, yeah. I'm I'm curious about what your uh, opinions are on a project like Tropic Square. Um, I don't know if you're. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but I, I'm not. Okay, that's this is this is kind of Slush's attempt to create and fund an open source um, secure element. Okay. Yeah, I guess in his background, none of the secure elements are currently open sourced. Right. Um, although some are readily available on the market, so that they're kind of commoditized. Yeah, and some require NDAs and some don't. So there's a multi-phase like differences between various secure elements. Right. I think their 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 complaint with not using an open source secure element and the reason they don't use one is that the certifications that these secure elements have are only certified against very a very specific list of attacks and their critique of that is that, well, all of the attacks are going to be the ones that aren't listed and your certification won't help you there because um, like people are always going to find other ways around it. So you, you kind of want to have a lot of eyes on, on, uh, on this hardware trying to find ways to crack it so that we can all find out about it. But if you're under an NDA, you can't actually disclose any of the attacks that you discover if you're one of the hardware wallet manufacturers i guess yeah but i don't know if that's true or not i mean especially if that's covered by nda in and of itself we won't know but um yeah i don't know if that's the case but as you said earlier some secure elements don't require ndas so those definitely can stop you from disclosing issues you find right um, you mentioned you mentioned Shamir secret sharing. Uh, I think was it Peter Wola that wrote the critique on uh, uh, Shamir secret snake oil, or was that? I think that was Maxwell. Oh, Gregory Maxwell. Yeah. Are you? Are, what are your thoughts on on Triple S? Are are do you share Maxwell's critiques, or do you think it has a place in um, in uh, key security? Well, so. 
the idea in of itself, I think, makes sense. It's just that so far, most of the implementations have been uh, very lacking when it comes to review or basically w working. Like they less shares than needed, maybe were leaking too much information, or or also, you know, people in, inadvertently thought that you could uh, do shamanistic sharing by, you know, taking a mnemonic and splitting it two or three ways without realizing that. You know, part of a mnemonic is a checksum, and and therefore, even if you don't have it, you can reconstruct it if you have the other pieces and so on. So, um, I, I don't remember the the, the argument that uh, Greg Maxwell had uh, against uh, show me secret sharing. I, but for I sure, actually have it right here. I can read it really fast if you want. Um, yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, so he writes: most threat models that could be defended using triple S are much better defended by multisig particularly because recombining shares of a private key on a device leave the key exposed to malware or a malicious user of the device, which are usually the most important threats to protect against. If you have a device which is guaranteed to be free of malware operated by a user guaranteed to be incorrupt, you could just leave the private key there and dispense with the SSS ritual security theater. Bitcoin products that advertise SSS are often snake oil and the same thoughtlessness that caused the marketing of SSS probably signals poor security. Well, so yes, in any situation where you could actually use multi-sig, I agree. And especially once we have Taproot and Schnorr, um, it's going to have uh, almost like pretty much no no on-chain cost to use multi-sig. It will only have some extra complexity and backup cost. But um, yeah, I completely agree. When Whenever you can use multi-sig, you should use multi-sig. Uh, yet, yet a good implementation of shamanistic sharing, I still think it's useful for splitting secrets that are not necessarily related to um you know things things that you can just sign with multi-sig um not sure if uh, that makes sense but you know redundant backup data makes sense in general yeah, yeah. for keys where we have multi-sig as a better option not not really um at the moment it does add some cost on chain because uh threshold cdsa is not widely implemented anywhere. Uh, I'm not even sure there's a proof or if it works um, reliably, but um, for Schnorr, this is, uh, you know, multi-sig and Schnorr, especially N of N, but with multi-sig even better. Um, I don't see a, a problem in using always multi-sig versus, the, 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 key, the key point is not so much the reconstruction or the implementation, uh, but it's the fact that you have the, the key in one place at, at the beginning, and that's enough to to break, you know, to break all assumptions later on. So it doesn't matter that you split it. It was in at some point it was only one place. With multi-sig, you can have the keys generated in different places from the get-go, making it uh, much harder for someone to compromise you. Yeah. So is the case then for triple S very narrow to something like? Well, if you assume someone who uh, multi-sig is too complicated, but there's some user-friendly triple S, then they're slightly compromised at the beginning, but after that, then they're a little better off. Is that is that a a fair a fair way to put it? I mean. I, I would use it like you, you would use some of the raid levels uh, where whereby you know you're using um, more disks than than you need and you need like 
say you have five disks, you only need three out of five, so that you mm -hmm. can have up to two failures. And I see this the same with Shamir Secret Sharing implemented correctly. You you have some something you cannot possibly lose, and you make um, you know five five uh, units of data that you give away, and you only need three to recover them. Um, so you know I, it, it could be a good strategy for for things that basically cannot be solved with multisig. What 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 kinds of things? Because that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. What what can't be solved with multisig that can be solved with triple S? Um, I don't know, but I could I, I could give you um, a couple of ideas off the top of my head. One is uh, uh, you could do something like this with uh, lining state channels, channel state. Um, I, in fact, I believe that uh, C lining uses uh, PostgreSQL, which uh, optionally, which potentially can have uh, you know a model like that where the data is redundant across mm -hmm. three synchronous instances, and uh, and you know you can lose any any one of them. Um, so that's one thing, and uh, well, probably for for things like. You know, important pictures that you cannot lose and you cannot trust some cloud provider to to keep copies of, uh, at least politically. Redundancy wise, they're usually pretty good at this stuff. Like, I don't think um, you know Instagram or Facebook loses uh, very often, or or Google loses very often pictures, but politically or whatnot, they could shut off your account any day and you lose all of access to all your pictures. Yeah. So, so maybe if you have some loved ones and you want to keep the pictures. It's it's not that crazy to me to, I mean it depends of the size right and how secret this data is and so on. You could just make uh, lots of backups, yeah. and 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 put the full state everywhere rather than uh, split it in in that way. Yeah, you usually yeah, encrypted backups or something. Yeah, yeah, but like you don't have to split it in a way where only n of m are required to recover it. You could just have a copy everywhere if it's yeah. not huge. Yeah, depends on what what kind of data we're talking about. I think. Mm, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. But basically, it sounds like in the context of Bitcoin, you're always going to be able to use um, a multisig over a triple S if you wanted to, except it sounds like maybe on these lightning channels you mentioned as a possible exception. But even with, with the lightning uh, channels, you, you could just uh, back them up in, you know, in their entirety. I don't think uh, yeah, it's a lot of information. So yeah. splitting it in recoverable units doesn't really add that much value. I was just trying to think quickly out loud about things that need backups. Yeah. Um, I guess it depends on how big, you know, how many channels you have and how big the state is. But I don't, I don't, I can't expect it to be that large that you need to start splitting it. So uh, another question uh, related to Jade. Um, so you guys are looking to, uh, so currently you don't have this feature, but you're going to use, uh, a camera for, uh, uh, allowing you to show QR codes and communicate in that, in that way, as opposed to, uh, either USB or Bluetooth or even Wi-Fi. Um, so, so what I'm curious about is how, how would you define, like, what do you think the, uh, the security risks are with using something like Bluetooth or, or Wi-Fi or, or, or USB cable? Uh, like, why, why is it so difficult to get security by just connecting a cable, uh, you know, from, from one device to another? Uh, and why uh, would it even be necessary to have something like QR codes? 
So I, 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 I will answer that question or those questions with another question. Do you think that QR codes is air gapped? Yes. I guess you're still sending data back and forth regardless, but it, I guess it's more... Mm. I would say is as air gapped as an SD card. Um, and uh, especially if you know you didn't automate the, 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 the steps with the camera and the, QR, and the next QR code, like you probably each step it's uh, manual, send some data, receive some data. It's, yeah. it's not automatic. Uh, and the same goes for the SD card. You have to remove it, do something, put it on the other end, and so on. Um, now, Does... there, there could be a bug, uh, a bug in the transaction parsing, whether you use uh, USB, whether you use BLE, whether you use uh, QR codes, and so on, which would allow to basically take over the firmware and uh, do whatever you want on the hardware wallet. And the next QR code is the mnemonic, um, or you know, shows it on screen, whatever. You, you could uh, hack it that way. Uh, you could hack it at the QR code parsing level. You could hack it at the BLE packet parsing level. You could hack it at the uh, <laughs> serial. I mean, serial is less likely because it's a relatively simple protocol, but still, uh, we use serial for the for the USB cable, uh, USB serial. Um, okay. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we already support the camera in the sense that in debug builds, uh, you can scan um QR code of the mnemonic so that you don't have to restore them that way. It's faster to, to scan a, a QR code of uh, 24 words than mm. to type in 24 words on a minuscule device, uh, as you would agree. So we use it a ton to automate testing or even manual testing, to be honest. Um, so in, we know it works. We, it works relatively well to, to, to read QR codes. It's not uh, as efficient or as fast as uh, we wish but we we think we still have uh, a bit of space for uh, performance optimization optimizations and uh so the the real problem at that point will become that transactions are probably larger than uh, what we can fit in a QR code on the display of the device and at mm. that point we want to use um there's a feature of uh, QR codes called sequence a bit like uh, sequence number right uh where basically you can show QR codes in in a loop a little bit like a gif or gif and uh, and the scanner would um, basically keep scanning until it has enough information to reconstruct the full mm. uh, packet. I think Ledger um, was the first one to experiment with this because I remember Nicolas uh, Baca. Um, I think now he's head of research, but used to be the CTO. Uh, and I, he he shared with me a while back a link to um, some JavaScript library that that supported this feature. Um, so that. That's probably what we're going to look into when when we want to add um, yep. the you know communication entirely by by QR code. Is there is there like more of a rate limit doing that versus? I mean, the thing about the the USB card is like let's say that, I mean even the little micro SD cards can be in the gigabyte range now. If I'm I'm pretty sure I'm correct about that, but a lot of data. Um, versus, so presumably you could be transporting more data than you think you are versus in the QR codes, at least you're somewhat rate limited. Like I, I think I saw a post talking about like what the max, you know, kilobyte per seconds of the QR codes are. And, and it was bigger than you might think it would be, but it's not huge. So is there some security in that or it doesn't really take 
very much data to compromise the device, so it doesn't matter. Well, I see. I guess I see what you're saying. But if we if we start using this QR code looping thing, the data is potentially infinite, or <laughs> not infinite, but whatever you know, Jade can handle in terms of memory anyway. Um, I think in general, um, I, I I wouldn't trust this uh, QR code limit to save me from uh, being uh, you know injected some payload through the QR codes, just like. I think it's possible through SD cards, and I think it's possible um, through any other, um, you know, channel. Yeah. Uh, and not just on the transaction parsing code, like anything in the stack between that and 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 the data in and out can be compromised. So if we're talking Wi-Fi, we're talking about the TCP/IP stack and the Wi-Fi layer, and and so on. If we're talking BLE, we're talking about the BLE from the beacons to anything else in in the middle. If we're talking USB, we're talking about the HID uh, frames, or I don't know. All I'm saying is there's various levels where, where this could happen, um, and uh, and yeah, the, the the software that that reads the SD card could also you know have some trouble. That being said, it's probably where you know most of the eyes goes and and the review goes as well. So. so would you at least agree that the attack surface seems smaller when using QR codes and cameras compared to uh, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi? Of course, of course. SD cards is also better than uh, Wi-Fi and BLE. Uh, yeah. But but USB cable is actually not that bad. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't consider it any of them in, in any of these uh um, you know, transport mode uh, to be completely air gapped. Yeah, but yeah, I guess there are as air gapped as possible. I mean, by function definition, you have to send data from it to the internet. So, yeah, I guess there's only so much air gapping that you can be air gapped, and they have to get data back, right? So that's kind of the problem. Yeah, you need to know at least what you need to sign and give out the signature. That's the like the super minimum. Yeah, but the device uh, at some point has to be updated on the state of the world. Like, I no longer own this Bitcoin or the transaction didn't go through. I still have it. No, the hardware so wallet knows nothing about uh, any of this. The hardware wallet doesn't know how many coins you have. The hardware wallet doesn't know what's the state of transaction. The hardware wallet doesn't tend to remember any of the transactions uh, that you signed in the past. Yeah, it um, just has the key. That's it. Yeah, it has the keys, and the companion app will know all of that, and uh, will will ask the hardware wallet, "Hey, do you do you mind signing this?" And the hardware wallet will go and look at all the inputs, all the outputs. It will detect if an output is changed or not. It will detect if the inputs are the right kind and all the same kind, and whether you own them or not, and and so on, depending on uh, the functionality offered by the hardware wallet. I think that's that's a really interesting well, distinction that like. I, um, uh, oh, yeah, you can go ahead, Brian. Actually, I think I was going to take it a bit sideways. Well, I guess maybe I'm confused then. So the hardware wallet, I, I want to make sure I ask this question correctly. The hardware wallet does not know the state of your funds, like whether you have one Bitcoin or 5,000 Bitcoin. Doesn't know no. any of that. No, it doesn't. It does not know that or remembers any of that. But but when you when you ask to you know to make a transaction to sign away some of your coins, it knows um, 
well, how much you, you had in, in, in the UTXOs that you're about to spend, how much you're sending to the person you're, you're sending, and he knows uh, if, if there is one. He knows if uh, the change is actual change or, you know, it's, it's yet another output, another recipient of yours. And it tells you all that on screen. But that's, but that's all stuff that he forgets immediately about. And, and even that, like, it would be possible for you to, like, draw up UTXOs that don't exist and ask the hardware wallet to sign it. Isn't that correct? Yes. You like, in theory. Ask, so, uh... Yeah, like, like, this is what I was going to bring up. It's, it's a really interesting distinction here because, like, from a user perspective, this is really counterintuitive. You know, you just think of a hardware wallet as, like, um, you know, at a super naive level, people come in and they think, you know, your Bitcoin is stored physically on this device. Um, so the fact that, you know, the device itself doesn't even know how much funds you have like the only thing it does is really all you want it to do is to produce the signatures that you want it to and then um everything else can be taken care of at the at the companion app level right the broadcasting the kind of tracking how many uh coins you have and all that right yeah yeah so i mean yeah yeah i found that a really interesting thing just in terms of the the kind of distinction um yeah between like what people um kind of experience when they're using it and then how it actually works in the background um i um yeah like i mean it, uh, unless brian's got more to dig in there no i um, think it makes sense like as long as it has the private keys for the the signatures that you want it to make then like why would it care yeah whether it's it's worse than that. You you can actually get a harder wallet. Let's say that you use the same private keys on Testnet and and Bitcoin Mainnet. You could get a, a harder wallet to sign a transaction um, for Testnet. And uh, I've actually used the the inputs you have on Mainnet. And uh, and yeah, do that. Uh, take the signature. I mean, the signatures. If you're using the same private keys, the signatures knows nothing about the. Um, you know the network you're you're on. Yeah. No, it, it makes sense now that y'all have explained it. So I I thank the unhashed podcast crew for correcting my ignorance. That's what we do. Uh, that was a good I question. Can, I no. can add that to the list of the uh, the the things that I've learned on the show, Mario. I uh, oh yeah yeah that was my question a week or two ago. Um, so yeah, I mean I I was gonna segue this to like um going back to like the process of designing Jade, and I guess this is somewhat related because your answer might have to do with um the UI level, but this was the first time that the green team was not working with hardware uh, per se because I, I know you guys have I, I believe you guys have contributed to some of the work with the functionaries at Liquid, but but this is the first time we've launched a um a kind of consumer facing um uh, hardware product, and so um I don't know if you've done that in your experience before um you know, green address, but I, I don't think so based on your kind of quick resume. So like, could you talk about, you know, what were some of the kind of uh, the biggest surprises or challenges doing that um, compared to um, compared to uh, building just software? Uh, sure. Um, so yeah, no, you're right. I I never shipped any hardware product in, in the past. Um, and in Blockstream, yes, we worked with hardware in the past in general. Uh, but as you as you said, uh, not much that was uh, consumer facing. I mean, yeah, maybe the SAT kit and so on. But um, again, that's that's something we we, we don't uh, have to you know write firmware for and so on. Um, <clears throat> and and you know ship hardware for that that has our own firmware and and so on. So 
I guess it started with uh, mostly me experimenting with uh, uh, Arduino-like hardware. Um, I don't really like Arduino. I don't think it's uh, it's uh, what you want to use for production. Could you but sorry, could you quickly describe what that is? Arduino, yes. Ar- Ar- Arduino, it's um, a set of uh, both hardware and software um, that um, I think originally was designed by an Italian um and uh well it was a relatively cheap board where you could uh um you know drive uh, motors or turn on and off uh, leds or you know um connect to a pump and drive the pump so that you could water your garden automatically with a light sensor with a rain sensor and and basically allowed um creators and inventors to um you know, to have something usable, um, uh, you know, with decent open source software and so on. So it's like it's like so, a firmware library. You said, is that right? Or is I that, mean, is that it's, one it's, way to think of it? Uh, so at the beginning it was just one chip, but but now it supports uh, uh, hundreds of chips. Okay. And uh, and there's also software a software stack that, regardless of chip, you can use uh, mostly similar you know code bases or libraries and so on. So it's an abstraction layer, and basically it's uh, you know imagine imagine like a Raspberry Pi, but instead of uh, um, it's instead of being an MCU or uh, you know uh, a system on a package, it's it's more of a microcontroller. So um, it, it doesn't most of them don't really run uh, an operating system or anything like that. It's uh, you know writing code that they run directly on the chip. Now, the SP32 was also one of the chips supported by Arduino. Uh, I don't remember how exactly I started because uh, the SP32 also supports uh, MicroPython, um, which is also what uh, Trezor uses on the Trezor T and ColdCard uses on the ColdCard. Uh, I think Bitbox also uses MicroPython now, but uh, I would need to double check. Um, so yeah, I, I experimented a little bit with uh, uh, a bunch of SP32 boards. And I started um, experimenting with uh, more and more and more of them. Like I think I have, uh, uh, if not fifty, at least a hundred uh, between home and the office. And uh, you know, first it was with Wally. Then I started to write a very tiny miner for it, a solo miner, just for fun. And uh, basically experimenting with the hardware until. Um, well, as I said earlier, we realized that um, it, we weren't too far from from actually uh, building, um, you know, a, a decent hardware wallet uh, around it. And in terms of uh, the challenges, uh, there, were, there were a couple, but um, you know, the the writing the software part wasn't particularly challenging in the sense that uh, we already had Wally for all the crypto parts and you know transaction constructions and derivations and and so on and porting Wally wasn't actually that hard uh, we have plenty of power on and plenty of memory on on, on the chip and uh, yeah I mean we were used to integrating hardware wallets in in our other products like green because we already supported Trezor and Ledger um, yeah it, you know, there were maybe some initial um, iterations on on the case, or uh, or you know, the, how smooth the wheel was, or you know, getting um, 
everything to work, like the display, the camera, and making sure that um, that we tested each device that went out and that we had a, a firmware that allowed the, someone to test the device very quickly because you don't want to mess with green and, and you know start initializing a hard wallet when, when you're testing that everything is fine. You just want to make sure that the buttons work, that the display works, that the battery works, that um, basically the camera works. Uh, and if the hardware works, then and the firmware that, that tests this stuff worked, then you can assume, um, you know, the the Jade firmware will work. Yeah, I it, I hadn't appreciated it before until now that um, yeah, you guys had already done a bunch of work, uh, you know, integrating Green with uh, you know Ledger and Trezor and uh, uh, before, and yeah, I guess that would have um, yeah, given you guys uh, uh, you know some experience with what you'd have to work with, and um, I, I think one of the maybe underappreciated advantages that we have is that. Um, I, I think we are the first, um, correct me if you guys know anyone else, but I think we're the first kind of software wallet or like, you know, mobile wallet provider that then launched a hardware wallet. And we kind of had the whole um, wallet UI layer sort of good to go. We could just use that already. Um, you know, I, because I mean, the other, the other hardware wallets I know of, they all kind of just built their own um, wallet software specifically for the hardware wallet. Um, do you guys know of any other examples or were we the first to kind of take advantage of the... Um, of uh, uh kind of the uh, the overlap there well so I, I remember that ledger initially added support to um well there was a public wallet that that now it's not available anymore i don't remember the name but second to that he added support to electrum and that was uh, before ledger live was even a thing um in terms of uh, us adding support we we staged it we we went with the android first then uh, ios and desktop uh came a few weeks afterwards um, yeah, I guess that was kind of one of my questions. Is like, what niche do you feel like the Jade fills that wasn't available out there by any of the other, or did you just think you could do it better? Well, so we we wanted something where we could um, move uh, move relatively fast when it comes to new features. So, for example, right now we're adding uh, something we we call anti exfil. Uh, Bitbox already added support um, in their hardware wallet. And basically, this is a feature that allows you, uh, from a companion app perspective, to prove that the hardware wallet is not trying to leak uh, private key material through its signatures. Um, it, it makes sure that um, you, you know that the hardware wallet cannot leak data. And, and that's a huge uh, advantage because um, that's one of the current you know key holes in, in, in hardware wallets. And so we're adding that. We're adding that to the libraries that we use to support hardware wallets, and uh, and yeah, it's um, it's something where we can move fast. The other thing is uh, Liquid. Uh, we wanted to add support for Liquid, and we also wanted to be able to um, you know do smarter things with uh, like things like CSV or um, in, in general, like as soon as the Taproot support is there, we might want to do something custom for Green uh, with the Miniscript support and so on, but. Um, you know, as efficient as possible, and and um, it'd be nice if the hardware wallet knew a little bit more about um, multi-sig. So currently, the problem with hardware wallets is that they don't commit to a multi-sig. And so, for example, when you use a, a hardware wallet with green that is not Jade, um, it cannot recognize as a, the change address because it doesn't know the change addresses because it doesn't know the XPub of uh, every oh, yeah. um, every person in in the multi-sig. Um, it, it basically doesn't commit or know about um, about these. Um, 
and 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 as such, it also has problems showing you know uh, receiving addresses on screen because you cannot verify them. Um, with green, with Jade, we we you we know about green, so we we know about the the, the backend side of the public key material. So we rec we can reconstruct all the scripts and verify uh, that you know the things match and uh, and validate the addresses on screen and 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 recognize change. So we can make the experience smoother. But we didn't build Jade just to you know make the green experience better. Uh, and you know I think that vertical integration does help. When you control, um, or you know, when, when you can contribute to both sides of the development, um, and so, yeah, we, we can experiment more at new advanced features without waiting. So that uh, actually reminds me of something that I was wondering about. Um, so you, with Green, you're getting one key from the server and one key uh, from your uh, is is made by yourself, right? And uh, you need both keys to even recognize the addresses that you have on the blockchain. Um, how how do you like? Let's say I'm restoring from backup. How do I know which server side keys I need to uh, use to actually figure out which UTXOs are mine? Um, like like I need to know that, right? Like if I don't even know the the the, the multisig, or at least like I'm not sure how it works now. Is it? I, I'm guessing it's. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I require that knowledge, right? So, is that not a potential weakness? Where you know, let's say, I mean, obviously this is kind of a weird attack, but you know, I I lose my, uh, I recover my wallet, and then when I'm recovering my wallet, uh, Green stops communicating with me, and they don't tell me uh, which keys uh, they have you know signed together with me. Um, so I, I can't figure out which my output, uh, which are my outputs. Like, is, is that actually a viable tech, or, or is there something like, do I just can I deterministically uh, generate those those keys? You can deterministically generate those keys, but only you can. Nobody else can, which means that you cannot be found on the blockchain by simply scanning. Um, imagine at the very high level. Imagine that we take your mnemonic and we create like. Uh, some some derivative secret off of it. Um, you know, you could take the mnemonic and hash it, or you could take the the first key and hash it. Whatever, it doesn't matter as long yeah. as it's deterministic. Yeah. You create this uh, extra secret, um, which doesn't allow you to go back to the mnemonic in any capacity, or back to the seed, or back to a private key. It's just uh, an extra secret that is deterministically generated. Now you could take this and send it to the server just uh, for uh, safekeeping, but you can always regenerate this at any point in time with your mnemonic. Yeah. And uh, we could use this inside the BIP32 path of the server. So uh. Uh, even though the server's public key is public and it's on uh, GitHub in all the projects that use green, so anything mm -hmm. from GDK to green iOS, Android, Qt, but also the, the green address recovery tool or the green address CLI command line interface. Um, so basically the public key is uh, fairly public. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, yeah, you can generate of that the the public keys of the server, and with that you can regenerate the scripts, and with the script you can regenerate the addresses. Okay. So you you can scan for your UTXOs offline. I mean, you know, given a synchronized full node, yeah. of you can do that offline if you wanted. Okay, yeah, that that perfectly satisfied that that question. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was just wondering about it. Like I, I never really stopped to think about it, and it, it just popped into my mind. 
Um, uh, just I, one I, small yeah. thing about Jade. Um, so the, a couple of interesting things versus the, the other manufacturers is that you could actually buy three or four different uh, devices off the market on AliExpress or Amazon today that are not Jade, but where you could load the Jade firmware if you wanted to. And this allows um, for easier, you know, um, hacking for people that just want to add features or play or make changes to the stack or, or even ship their own variant of, uh, you know, improved Jade or whatever. Mm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we, we also have an emulator in, in the works. Uh, it's currently sitting on a branch so people can try it, but it's not merged yet. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, the fact that even finding hardware for it is uh, that simple means that uh, it's more accessible. And the cheapest uh, one I could find was $6. Uh, it didn't have the battery or the camera, but $6 is hard to beat. Yeah, well, that's what, what, cool. what do you have left for $6, though? You don't have a camera, you don't have a battery. So you, you have connected... the display, yeah. you have the buttons, you have okay. the BLE, you have the USB. Wow. Um, you have, uh... yeah, you don't have the battery, you don't have the camera. And the case, you have to print yourself. <laughs> but it's $6. Yeah. So... That's very impressive. And now I'm kind of tempted to uh, to go and order some of these and see if I can uh, put it together. So I, I actually have a question about the hardware. Um, it, I read on the AMA that it's an M5 stack. I don't know anything about hardware, so that doesn't actually mean much to me. Um, but from as far as I can tell, these components are all made in China. Is is there any non-Chinese manufacturers of these of of hardware that's compatible with the software? or the firmware, I guess I should say, for Jade? So um, as far as I understand, um, the company that makes the main chip, um, it's called Espressive and it's in Shanghai. Um, they license um, a CPU stack uh, called Extenza from a company called Cadence. I believe the company Cadence, uh, it's in the States. Um, and... Um, yeah, the product is not an M5 stack. The product is uh, manufactured uh, with the same uh, providers that M5 stack uses. And M5 uh, helped us with uh, a couple of things. I mean, from the PCB to um, the FCC and C uh, regulation, um, you know, registration and so on. Um, and the device was produced... Um, Yes, in, in, in China and flashed by, by Blockstream uh, with uh, basically public keys uh, flashed to the device such that going forward, only firmware signed by Blockstream can, can run on them. This obviously doesn't apply uh, to hardware that you can buy yourself on, on AliExpress or Amazon and so on. Um, the chip, as far as I know, there's, there's nobody producing that chip um, outside of China. I don't. I don't know um, if we if there is any uh, hardware wallets at the moment um, with chip coming from China. Um, both Trezor and Ledger use ST uh, Microelectronics, which is a European company, um, and uh, and it's the same company. Um, <clears throat> I believe the cold card uses uh, Atmel plus ST, uh, and uh, I believe that. Um, Bitbox also uses uh, Atmel plus uh, ST or maybe just Atmel. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, let me put it this way. Um, 
it's uh, I think it's good to have some diversity. So, um, you know, if I was to do a very important multi-sig, I'll probably use a ledger, a Trezor, a cold card, and a Bitbox, and a Jade, and a laptop with Bitcoin Core offline. Yeah. Like, like I want all of them because it's harder to compromise the, you know, the chip from China, the chip from Europe, the the, the chip from another company, and so on. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, yeah, I'm I'm going to steer the conversation in a different direction. So if there's anything Jade-related that people want to ask, they should maybe ask before I, I, I go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, so so what I'm wondering about is, uh, so Green Address, uh, you know, you guys have been a, around for a very long time. And, uh, you know, I, I remember Green Address being new. And, and, you know, for me, actually, it was very much a learning experience back then. Uh, I'm guessing this was like, end of 2014 or something. Actually, I want uh, to quickly eject there. Uh, this is funny because I remember going back to finding the original announcement of Green Address and the yeah. biggest kind of common thread on there was Ruben being all excited and Lawrence answering his questions back in 2014. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, like, I'm sure, Lawrence, I, I must have like chatted with you on, on Reddit, but I, I don't actually know what your nickname is on there. So I'm, I'm having a hard time like connecting it, but I, I'm sure we, we must have had some back and forth there. Um, it's green address. <laughs> green address? That, that was, uh, okay, yeah. I, I think that's um, the Reddit account you used, right, Lawrence? No, it was at the beginning, and then um, that became the green address at, at the, not at the very beginning, but at some point had a tip bot. Like you could tip on 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 Reddit to other users whether they were on Green Address or not. It, it wasn't very scalable and and so on. But and at some point we removed it. But yeah, basically Green Address became the bot, and so my my new user was a bit fast. Bit fast. Uh, okay. Yeah, that does ring a bell. Lawrence, did did we were you up in uh, Victoria when Colin and I visited? There were two Green Address developers there. I don't uh, know if you were one of them or not. No, probably not. No. Okay. <laughs> Never mind then. Yeah. So, so what I was uh, going to ask is that one of the main features, uh, you know, like it, it sort of what you guys are doing is it's like a, you know, it was using channels before Lightning Network was a thing, uh, where it's a it's a channel with a, a green address and yourself, and then there's a some time lock back. Um, but the uh, one of the key features there that I, I still think is cool today, but you guys sort of abandoned, and, and I kind of know half the reason why, but it's still interesting, um, is that you had this instant transfer feature, right? Where you, you would say, well, well, if uh, the uh, person you are paying is willing to kind of trust that green address wouldn't sign a double spend, then any payment that comes from a green address wallet can be basically instant because you know that the green address wallet will never uh, sign a double spend where the money suddenly goes somewhere else. Um, and you guys kind of like, you know, that was that was a big feature back then. And I feel like that's something that's gone more and more into the background to the point where now it seems it's sort of abandoned. And I'm just curious what happened and why that is, or if you still think there's, there's a use case there. So we deprecated it um, a few years ago, at least two. And uh, there's multiple reasons we deprecated it. One is, uh, I believe, that Lightning um, is a better tech stack and um, scales better, and you know doesn't doesn't have the many of the issues that 
that instance transactions had with so, uh, sorry what are you comparing it to now Li lining yeah uh, lining i think uh, it's uh what is that? Lightning. Li Lightning, Lightning Network. Sorry. Oh, it's, oh, sorry. It's, sorry. A cool, it's a cool second layer tech. You should. <laughs> yeah, it's a really cool second layer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've never heard of this. Lightning? Like uh, it was kind of, Lightning. Okay, yeah. Sorry. No, I just missed it. L2. Okay. So, yeah, um, as soon as I discovered the L2, uh, sorry, Lightning, Lightning, um, I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> that's uh, so much better and so much, uh, you know, more interesting and and useful. Now, I, I, I still think there's some space for, for instance, uh, instant transactions and, and, and that, um, you know, security or trust model. I think there's space for it, um, but it, it, it doesn't come for free. There's a, a ton of complexities to, to deal with. Um, for example, um, you know, we used to overshoot for fees for instant transactions because um, you, really, you really can't, um, not have that transaction included because at some point the CSV or analog time is going to expire, which means the user can double spend the, the transaction. And at that point, your guarantee is, is uh, you know, as good as uh, terrible. Like once there's a proof that you allow the double spending, it's game over. So <clears throat> we, we were forced to overspend. One way to um, resolve the problem is to sign multiple transactions and broadcast them um, in succession so that you, you, you could even set a, a time lock on each of these transactions so that they cannot be broadcasted until a certain block height. Mm. So that first you go with the lowest fee and uh, after a while you, you can start increasing the fee with uh, by means of RBF with these pre-signed transactions so that you can guarantee that it goes in, but it doesn't have to be at a really high uh, fee rate. Um, but basically, um, it all came down to complexity. It has a, yeah. a, a bunch of complexities, um, and a chain of instant transaction has even more complexities. Mm. Uh, like if you want to send the uh, instant and then the recipient can suspend it instantly. Sure, you can do that from a mempool point of view, but in terms of guarantees of having both going in um, and, and RBFing both or paying uh, as a child, you know, it, it had the complexity. And um, and the, the other problem is that this is the sort of future that you would uh, probably want to monetize. The problem is that the only ways that you could do anything to monetize this was anti-privacy, like either send an output to myself, I mean, to the, to the company, not great in terms of privacy, um, or, you know, pay a membership, again, not great in terms of privacy. Uh, more doable, I guess. A membership is more doable, but but still complex um, to handle and implement. And so, yeah, at, I, at some point we simply decided, you know, better to integrate Lightning, Lightning at some point rather than uh, continuing with the instant that, um, you know, it kind of worked and it could work. You could actually implement something half decent, but it's expensive in terms of complexity. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I still think it's kind of a cool feature, and uh, it's still my go-to arguments whenever people bring up the, uh, you know, the the speed at which blocks come in, and they say ten minutes takes too long. I think this is kind of a good trade-off. Like if you if you insist on uh, having faster transactions, then if you're willing to kind of trust a third party to, you know, at least promise not to double spend. That would be sufficient to have, uh, you know, fast transactions. But yeah, of course, the Lightning Network is kind of the long-term better solution, I guess. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of complexity there as well. So it might take a little while before, uh, 
that gets uh, you know fully implemented everywhere. But yeah, we'll see. Maybe uh, maybe you're right, and maybe just one, once you have the like network fully operational or just being more popular than it is today, it kind of doesn't even make sense anymore. Either way, if I, if I was to you know redo the instant bit, I'd probably uh, wait for Taproot because I think that in terms of privacy, it's uh, better. Like, yep. and in terms of uh, economicity, like the the what it would cost, right to. Um, uh, you know, to use these features because uh, at the moment using multi-sig, it's a uh, it's a fee hit. Like you have to yeah. pay for all the public keys and and all the signatures. Um, even if it's an N of M, you have to include all the M public keys, um, right? And yeah, uh, yeah. so it, it can get expensive. Yeah, definitely. I think the yeah that that was always kind of the case. I feel like the the green address model was always perfect for something like store uh and uh, and mast and everything right like that was all uh once once store gets activated I, I think that really strengthens the case for using green address because like today i still find it somewhat awkward uh that you know you, you're dealing with like two signatures on chain and bigger transactions and it's also sort of non-standard which is something that uh hopefully will be kind of resolved uh through uh partially signed bitcoin transactions and things like that um so it, it kind of becomes more uh what do you mean it's non-standard? Uh, well, yeah. Well, well, what I mean is, uh, is, is if I want to, if I want to use green address, and then later I'm like, uh, I decide, oh, now I want to use a different wallet, then I can't easily um, import my key into this other wallet and continue to use. Uh, well, I guess it's obvious because you're you're relying on a server, but I kind of mean that you're you're sort of locked into the. Uh, a vendor a little bit uh, because of that, because it's uh, it, the two of two is very specific to to green address. That that's what I'm referring to. It's um, it's only partially true. Like uh, currently, we we moved to what we internally call CSV plus, but basically it's a CSV uh, script with uh, two public keys. And after a while, after the CSV expires, you you can spend with, with your single uh, key. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, really and, nice. and and we support Miniscript with this. And so you could import um, basically the wallet in in any Miniscript compatible uh, wallet and and sign transactions. Yeah. Uh, you would need uh, on the green end of things, uh, you know, some some um, bridge or proxy or something that you know takes the transactions and populates a PSBT mm. or or something like that. So it's it's um, it it's 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 certain. Certainly true that we don't use uh, paths that are more common uh, today, like BIP44 and so on, in a green multi-sig because uh, well, green was was created before uh, those were, you know, proposed um, at least for multi-sig things. Um, in in terms of single sig, we're we're basically going to support whatever uh, Trezor and Ledger support, like all the um, BIP44, 48. Um, Sorry, B44, 84, 89, uh, basically um, Bitcoin legacy addresses, uh, P2SH, wrapped, SegWit, and uh, native. Um, and the same goes for Jade. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, especially like with the single signature um feature coming like like that it's definitely i think makes it easier for uh for people to start using uh because you, you, the software that you guys created i think is really is, is very user-friendly it looks good um 
yeah, I, I, for me, it's just like, you know, the, the features are like slightly advanced for, yeah, I guess, I guess it depends on how you look at it. But li- like I said, right, like the, uh, the fact that you can't easily export it to, to other wallets, but that's going to be easier in the future. So, you know, I, I still think it's totally worth it, but uh, I definitely applaud the, uh, you know, the multiple options and having kind of a single key wallet as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know why, but I, I think yeah, I, I use I use wallets on my phone mostly just for you know spare change and sending small amounts to friends every now and then. And uh, yeah, if that if there was like a single key version for that, I would totally switch over. I'm currently using mycelium, which I'm sort of like half happy, half unhappy with. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a you know uh, tough situation there. But yeah, that's just my personal kind of like uh, how I feel about it currently. Um, I had a question for Lawrence. Um, so we got, I mean, I know we have a bunch of stuff coming down the pipeline. Um, I'm wondering what you are most excited about uh, coming up for Jade and Green. Well, um, I'm already overwhelmingly excited about some of the stuff we did with uh, Green and Jade from CSV Plus to uh, client blobs encryption, which means that all, all the important things like transaction memos and account names and so on are encrypted. Actually, that's that's really interesting. Do you want to describe that maybe in a bit of detail? Yeah, so um, the model with Green has always been that you can use the same wallet from your mobile from the desktop and everything will look the same, whether it's a transaction note and uh, or an account name and, and like your fiat preference and language preference and, and so on. And by fiat preference, I mean USD or Euro or CAD or, and so on, right? Uh, you want to see bitcoins, you want to see sats, you want to see that that sort of stuff. And um, in the past, we allowed um, to have a search inside the wallet where you could search by a transaction ID or by a text note or you know whatever you wanted. But that search was implemented uh, server side, and uh, basically meant that all this data was uh, server side and uh, to be searchable. Uh, it wasn't encrypted. I mean, there's probably ways nowadays to do. Uh, search on encrypted data, but my understanding is that it's very expensive um, in terms of uh, I/O and so on. In any case, um, we we did the work necessary to. Well, first of all, search is uh, no longer supported, and then we did the work to migrate all the data deleted from the backend, encrypted client side with a secret uh, derived from um, either the mnemonic or a hardware wallet. Uh, such that only the user can regenerate that secret and uh, you know encrypt it and, and and have it server side. I mean, we could just keep it client side, but then the problem is that if you lose uh, the device or access it from another device, you lose everything. And um, yeah, you probably don't want to lose your transaction notes and and uh, or not. I mean, it makes sense with the green model because you already have the backend as a cosigner, so it may as well. Be helpful and, and and store some encrypted data for me. Uh, the client is also smart enough to detect if uh, you know the server is trying to reply to you some old version, because the client signs it and, and everything. So the server can't uh, and and there's a counter, so the, the server can't just give you an old one unless you haven't seen a newer one since. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering about that. So so what happens is when you send over the data to the server, you sign it with your mnemonic, and then the server serves it back to you? Like, like how do they... Um, like, if you reset your wallet, 
and you come online and you request a version, then I guess you could still get an older version, right? Or well, is that not true either? You, you can only get the latest version. Um, yeah. And you yeah. and you can find out if the version you have is the latest if you, you know, trust the server. Um, the server cannot give you an old one and and say this is uh, the latest because you you would if you have a, a newer one locally then you know the service line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm kind of assuming like if you're restoring from backup, so you don't have something local. But yeah, I guess the server doesn't know whether or not uh, you still have a backup, so they can't risk sending you an old version and and get caught. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I'm 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 excited that we we finally got around adding some of these features. We added uh, coin selection to the CLI um, client, which is the command line client. But um, this is just a precursor for all the other ones. Uh, now that we nailed it at the library level and at the command line level, we can um, implement it across all our uh, supported apps. Same goes for single sig. Uh, Jade in general, I was very excited about, but now that we have single sig support, HWI is in a PR. Um, we got the anti-exfil uh, merged and tested, um, which is that feature I mentioned earlier to make sure that the hardware wallet cannot leak a private key. Yeah, that's a really cool feature. I like that a lot, actually. It's uh, it's very smart. And uh, there's a few other things that will come with Jade, um, like um, the emulator support um, and uh, being hacking internally a couple of other experimental things. One is an Electron client running entirely on Jade such that it doesn't need the companion app. So it connects through Wi-Fi to an Electron server and shows you the balance and with the camera allows you to scan a QR code um, and spend your funds directly from Jade without any mobile wallet or desktop app or anything like that. Um, it's still in a prototype level and um, it's uh, the GUI hasn't been written. It's uh, just uh, like library command line level at the moment just to test it and some parts are not implemented really well like the coin selection is very naive and the fee estimation is hard-coded and not smart mm -hmm. so you know it's it's uh it's certainly experimental but um it seems to work for single seek uh, legacy wrapped and, and native as well as uh, bitcoin core xprives uh, as well as uh, xpub uh, and uh, ypub and zpub and uh, UPubs. Um, so it, it, it supports quite a bit in terms of both uh, watch only and um, pull write. So that's one experimental thing I'm quite excited about. Uh, what else? <laughs> it's a lot already. <laughs> so I guess one thing uh, you have to add is uh, all, all the software you guys have released thus far has been uh, deterministic, right? You can uh, make a uh, build of it and you can check whether it's the same build. Um, and that seems to be something that, unfortunately, a lot of, uh, not a lot of uh, wallet builders uh, seem to go for, but you guys did. Um, can you kind of speak to that and, you know, say like why you think that's so important and uh, whether there were any challenges there in getting that? Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's very important because it uh, allows uh, third parties to reconstruct um you know the the, the software and, and make sure that the binaries that are distributed are the same as uh, the one reconstructed um it's uh, it's important that when you have um you know deterministic build you avoid any sort of uh, binary in the first place as input and that all the dependencies are like deterministic in the first place um so 
it's not easy. You have to make sure that uh, all the libraries are pinned, or in other words, that um, the version that you're going to use it's uh, hard coded. And ideally, you know, you have a hash of it too, so that someone can just give you um, another variant with the same mm -hmm. version but a different hash, yeah. without you noticing at the very minimum. Um, it's it's hard. It's it's hard uh, on on all of the platforms. Um, on iOS, uh, I, I, it, it's it's even harder from my understanding. I'm, I'm not the expert there. Yeah, uh, but, I think it's but, hard to actually check it. Like even though you have deterministic builds, because you're you're going through. Yeah, there there's some issue with the. Uh, I think Apple signing it as well, and then the signature <laughs> becomes makes it non-deterministic or something like that. Well, yeah, uh, signatures will, not, will will make anything non-deterministic. But if you can exclude or zero the the signature block. Um, in all the things you're comparing, then you should be able to verify that everything's yeah. kosher. Um, yeah, it's 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 hard, um, and uh, it, it's part of why you want everything built from sources and uh, and avoid binaries uh, um, as much as possible. Yeah, um, and what about the uh, you know? So the, the the code is open source. I can build build it, and then I can see it's deterministically the same. Okay, great. Um, but how do you, how do you look at a code review? Because obviously with Bitcoin Core we have the golden standard of everything you know being reviewed by uh, many people and very uh, thoroughly. But for many wallets that isn't really the case. Um, do you guys have you know something to ensure that there's a sufficient review, or is that because you're using Wally? Is that kind of the uh, separation where as long as you know that Wally is is, is correct? Uh, code-wise, uh, and enough eyes have been on that, um, that kind of automatically means the wallet is secure? I, I guess you can't really make that assumption either, right? Like, So how, how do you no, look at that? No, no, no. Everything, the full stack gets uh, reviewed. Yeah. Um, the Everything gets reviewed from, you know, additional dependencies uh, to GUI changes um, to, to wallet changes. Obviously, depending on what area of the code has been changed, there'll be more eyes. And not because of uh, you know potential maliciousness, but more because we we want to avoid accidental bugs and so on. Yeah. Um, and so the, the the reviews are are quite extensive, especially at the Libwali level uh, and GDK level. At the at the GUI level, there's still um, you know mandatory review. Everyone gets reviewed, um, and it, you know we, we we actually welcome that because we know that. There's always space for mistakes, and an uh, extra pair of eyes uh, can help, especially from someone expert from uh, you know that area of the code. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, in, in the past, uh, I've uh, I've seen horror stories on JavaScript libraries, in, you know, um, <laughs> depending on thousands and thousands of dependencies, and uh, you know, any one of those dependencies could inject easily um, some malware or some code stealing private keys and so on. Yeah. And so you really want your dependencies to be hard coded as much as possible and um, reduce the number of dependencies as much as possible because it's going to be very hard, if not impossible, for you to review all of them. And even if you have a few, um, you know, it can be very challenging to review every single line of code of your dependencies. Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, almost any software that we have to deal with uh, uses TLS, and you have to depend on OpenSSL. You have to, if we if we want like Tor support, we have to depend on Tor. Mm. Um, you know, there's a, it's it's very, a yeah, it's not easy to to have uh, deterministic builds, but I think it's very important. 
uh, also for testability, not not just for security. Um, and and B, um, you know, you want to reduce the number of dependencies to the minimum, not only because it makes it making deterministic builds easier, but also because of uh, security concerns. Yeah. So uh, recently, unfortunately, I still forget the name of the, of the wallet, but it was something like, uh, well, there, there was a wallet out there that does altcoins as well, unfortunately. But they have a model um, where they release two apps, and one of the apps is basically uh, the, the signer app, and the other app is the the user interface, essentially. So you know, it's very similar to having a hardware wallet and then having uh, the uh, the phone wallet and combining the two and then having the hardware wallets ensure that everything is secure. But in this case, it's just two apps. And the point of it is, or at least one of the points, you could also put the apps on different phones and you could have a little bit more security that way. But one of the points is also that the signing app is very simple and you don't really have to worry about the um, the user interface somehow, you know, they're malicious, if there's malicious code being uh, injected there, it still won't affect the signing process. Um, is that something you've ever thought about or, or do you think that that's not good enough or yeah, what's your opinion? I'm not sure I have, um, enough, uh, understanding of, uh, their model. Maybe yeah. you went a bit, uh, fast over it or yeah. I missed, uh, some, some parts you're saying that, um, you're talking about a wallet where there's two keys and they're on two separate devices or no, 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 I, I'm, I'm saying there's two, there's two apps and one app does the signing. And the other app uh, is is basically the interface, so it does everything else, right? It does and, the uh, and use two different devices or one. Uh, well, both. You can use two different devices, or you can use the same device. And for simplicity, let's say you're on the same device. So, so the point here really is uh, about limiting review, and maybe only the signing app needs to be deterministic because that's the one you have to trust, and and not so much the the user interface. Well, as long as the signing up um, shows you all the information you need to know about, you know, um, how much you're spending, how much is the change. Yeah. Just like um, a hardware wallet, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. if you were to run both apps on, on your device, then, you know, having a single app would probably be safer. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I am not disputing that, right? Like I'm, I'm just looking more at it from the perspective of having uh, software that constantly changes, and every time that software changes, that is a potential problem for new bugs or malicious code being injected. So now, if you separate it, then every time you update the interface, it doesn't affect the the signing app, right? So the signing app doesn't change, so it doesn't need more uh, doesn't need more review. Um, so it kind of helps uh, in that scenario. Yeah, I can see how, you know, it's it's not a bad idea. It's just like a hardware wallet. Yeah. Um, yeah. But on the same device, it seems uh, it wouldn't, like it would decrease the UX uh, um, experience. Like yeah, experience. yeah. And, uh, and from a privacy perspective, uh, the fact that you're transferring transactions from one app to another, I don't know if uh, the other apps can potentially be um, I mean, cer certainly uh, having it in one app means that you, you can take some uh, more precautions or or more more you know efficiency. But yeah, it, two different devices makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, no, that that would be the better model. I, I'm just saying, it even it still seems to help, even if it's on the same device. That that's kind of the point. But yeah, no, two devices would be uh, ideal. Um, okay, so then uh, the final thing I'm I'm curious about, and that that ends uh, my my list of questions at least, is uh, AB Core. Uh, that's something you've worked on as well, right? Uh, yeah, I ported the Bitcoin Core daemon to Android. Yeah. So um, yeah, tell me about that. Like, what what was the reason you start working on it? Um, do you consider it more of a hobby project, or do you think it will be something that people will start using for, or maybe they already are using it? Like, I, I do know I have a friend who used it as a as full note for a little while, but I think that was just for fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's mostly hobby. I mean, some I know some people that have been using it and. Uh, Possibly they still use it. It all started with uh, me buying um, or getting as a present. I don't remember now. Um, an ARM set-top box, and the ones that you know has HDMI, Ethernet, Wi-Fi, a couple of USBs, and uh, it's, it's small and maybe fanless. And but this was supposed to be fairly powerful, like um, you know, definitely more powerful than a Raspberry Pi. And so I got Linux running on it uh, just to find out that um, there weren't any drivers, for, uh, DTS drivers for um, for the Wi-Fi. And even for Ethernet, it was a bit of a hit and miss um, to get it to work. And so I started getting really annoyed at this thing. Um, and, well, I, I, I needed to run a, a full node and didn't want to run an Ethernet cable and didn't want to... I, I wanted to... To, to run a full node on this thing and I wanted also take advantage of some of the Android features. So I, I you know, decided, well, how hard can it be? We, we already compile Wally and, and eventually GDK to, to, to Android. It, it, it needs uh, something called the NDK, the Native Development Kit. It's a, it's a layer that, um, Google Android uh, offers uh, for you know people that want to uh, basically you know compile applications that are not uh, necessarily written in Java. Mm. Um, basically, they offer a C and C plus plus compiler so that you can compile you know whether it's video games or or you know Libwali uh, for Android phones. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I. I started hacking um, Bitcoin Core until I got it to build on on Android to get it to work on that set of box, and then I decided to get it to work on my phones or my phone and tablet or something like that. Uh, and uh, you know, um, I started maintaining the patches and submitting them upstream to Bitcoin Core so that Bitcoin Core will be easier to compile um, across multiple platforms, mm. which uh, certainly is uh, a good end goal. At the moment, AB Core is uh, unmaintained and, and deprecated. Uh, hasn't been updated in uh, at least a year, if no more. Oh, okay. um, because uh, there's a couple of reasons. One is that I don't really have the time. And uh, and also it was a bit of a mess because there's uh, the Bitcoin Core side of things and the GUI, but also Google is starting to deprecate how you can run uh, demons mm. on, on Android. So um, like I felt that they were gonna ban this eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. It basically and, has to run in the background the whole time, right? Well, yeah, but the the operating system keeps keeps killing it, and the, yeah. there's ways to avoid that. But <laughs> yeah. It's the, a little tricky. 
the, the, the real problem is that they, they don't seem to make it easy for you to download the binary and run it. So we will need to ship either four different apps or one app with all the binaries for the various uh, supported platforms. So ARM64, ARM32, mm. uh, x86, x86-64, uh, MIPS used to be supported. Um, it, it becomes uh, somewhat complex. Yeah. Uh, but also the more important part of all this is that support for um, Android was basically merged in Bitcoin Core eventually. Uh, a little bit by me with some patches, but ultimately uh, someone else has, uh, you know, finished the work. And even better, they got the GUI working as well. Because um, I didn't get the GUI working, I only ran it as a daemon. Um, and then wrote some GUI around the RPC to, yeah. to show you, you know, like progress and things like that. Uh, but yeah, basically, apparently you can run the full Bitcoin core on, on Android today. Um, the GUI may not be perfect for mobiles, but someone is also working on, um, you know, more user-friendly um, UX as well. So I think it's promising. Um, Do you know the I name of that uh, GitHub repository? Or No, I think it's, uh, it should be in the, it should be either merged or, okay. or in a PR, but hmm. um, I haven't been... Um, entirely up to date yeah. with this because uh, ultimately um, I ended up, you know, running my, my full node somewhere else. Yeah, no, that's that uh, new to me as well. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, that ends at least my line of questioning. Does anyone else have uh, anything they want to mention? I think that covers quite a lot. Uh, we, have, we have lots of material for people to listen to on this one, so it's a pretty meaty episode. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Lawrence. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah it was awesome. thanks so much for thanks for much stopping by and giving us an hour and a half of your time here. Cheers! It was uh, you know interesting, and thank you for for you know asking me to to join this. Yeah, I guess I, you, I just yeah I just want to yeah, say like I, I think it's you know really like Green Adders was one of my you know favorite apps, and I think you guys are really cool. Like all the work that you guys are doing, I guess we haven't even gone. Uh, I guess we could have also talked about uh, what's the name of the. Uh, uh, the um block explorer um explorer. explorer right yeah so that's really cool as well so you guys do really a lot of really cool stuff so just uh i just wanted to say i'm I'm a fan probably probably space for a second interview sometime yeah be good very um cool. lawrence uh where can people find you online that kind of thing on twitter as uh larry bitcoin um what else? Uh, bit fast on Reddit, but I don't use Reddit very much. And okay. uh, yeah, awesome. Well, we'll uh, we'll send people that way. Go check him out there. And um, thanks so much for coming on, guys. Uh, if you want to find shows this episode as well as all the others, you can go to unhashpodcast.com. Uh, also, if you would like to support our work, you can do so on Patreon.com/slash/unhashpodcast, or you can throw us some sats. Uh, via our BTC pay server, which you can find on our website. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Unash Podcast. So we hope that you enjoyed this episode and we love you very much. Goodbye. It's time to thank the people who are making the show happen. VIP patrons, MKUltra07 and Peter McCormack from the What Bitcoin Did podcast. Thanks so much for your contributions. If you want to help contribute, you can go to patreon.com slash unhashpodcast or send Bitcoin to the address on the about page of unhashpodcast.com. Thank you for your consideration. 